0: Welcome to Bookish Ed Bethel. I am Anne-Marie Koysher in the History Department. And I'm Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department. This week, we are joined by Mark Bruce, who is in the Department of English. And he is a medievalist, among many other things that he does. But uh, we will talk mostly about Dante, but a few other related things and not related things. And uh, we appreciate you listening.
1: This week, we've got Mark Bruce, professor in the English department, with us to talk about Dante. Hello, Hello, Mark. (laughs) Hi. So, why Dante? Why do we read Dante? And can you give us a little snippet of what we're going to be reading, what our students are going to be reading? Why Dante?
2: Because he's cool. (laughs) Um, Because it's, for me, it's because he's an incredible visual and... Sensory kind of writer, mm-hmm. um, you know people uh, often concentrate talking about him on the sort of theological and allegorical elements of the comedy and uh, what I tend to respond to is how sensual he is and how how much he 's activating um, a, a reader 's senses through words, images. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about I'll demo that more uh, mm-hmm. when we get to the lecture. But um, so so that's one reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think another one is that it's it's kind of a nice pickup on a lot of the themes that we've been looking at um, all along in humanities so far. So uh, we have Dante being led around the Inferno and the and and, pur- and Purgatory by Virgil mm-hmm. who is a poet we know and who Dante loved and um it's very much about you know how do we or one of the things that Dante's very concerned about is how do we reconcile all this great classical learning all this stuff from the Greek and Roman world which is also very pagan uh with um you know the the newer um Christian learning and theology mm-hmm. um and so he does a really great job. I, I kind of like him coming toward the end of our semester um, because he does a great job of of integrating the two and, mm-hmm. and showing that, um, you know, how complementary they can be.
1: Mm hmm. So you talked about the Inferno and the Purgatory. Can you tell us a little bit about what happens in the Purgatory and then especially in the context of the greater divine comedy? Yeah, give
0: us the preview, the Purgatory. The The preview.
1: Okay.
2: Um, So uh, Virgil has just led Dante on a guided tour of hell. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, this is in response to... Dante at the opening of the poem having kind of a midlife crisis a dark night of the soul Mm -hmm. moment Um, and he's despairing and uh, you know doesn't know how to think about his life and so he's given this vision where uh, Virgil takes him on this tour and the idea is um, kind of to for uh, to help dante understand himself by kind of taking a tour through this representation of sort of theological space um and so uh they've been through a tour of hell and they've been through and so hell is a pit um and it's kind of uh shaped like an inverted cone. So mm-hmm. there are terraces going down and it gets narrower and narrower and narrower, uh with the various terraces being being the various punishments for mm-hmm. sins. And hell for Dante is all about punishment. There's no getting out. Right. Um it's just about kind of retribution and comeuppance. Um and then um, they wind up having to walk and slide down Satan's back <laughs> um, and kind of, you know, out by his arse and, <laughs> and go through this little tunnel, uh, which brings them to the foot of purgatory, which is a mountain mm-hmm. that's kind of the inversion of mm-hmm. the inferno. So instead of a pit that's a cone, it's like a... a, a cone-shaped mountain with terraces going up to the top, and each of the terraces are uh, representative of a particular sin. But in the case of Purgatory, it's about people um, kind of learning about what those sins mean and going through a process of purification before they um, ultimately make it into Mm -hmm. paradise. Mm -hmm. Um, So it starts out with Dante and Virgil arriving on the shores of Purgatory and everybody's kind of wandering around like they just got off a plane at an unfamiliar airport and are (laughs) looking for the information kiosk. It's actually a really funny moment. Um, And then we're going to get taken on a tour up the various terraces of Purgatory and learn about each sin on the way.
0: Now, Mark, I feel like I have not read the Inferno but i feel like maybe you mentioned sometimes when you lecture on this that um, there that we meet up with socrates at some point in hell is that true no
2: socrates no
0: no i'm just I can't totally remember way off or it's yeah. the um maybe it's the unborn or like are there philo- greek philosophers sort of on the the et- no? everybody's looking at me like i I'm oh, crazy. No, i just don't know
1: it has been so long oh. <laughs> since i read the inferno i i have well, no so idea well so there's
2: there's limbo okay yeah, that's um, what i was thinking oh, okay which is um, not Technically, part of the Inferno, right? And it's it's for
1: the virtuous pagans, right? Right. Okay. So and actually,
2: that's where Virgil lives. That's Mm -hmm. where Virgil is. Okay. Um, And and uh, Aristotle is there, and Plato is there, and uh, it's actually not a bad place. At all, it's not paradise, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know it's pretty nice. You know, uh, Aristotle and Virgil and Plato and all these people get to sit around and
0: it's Greek heaven
2: and drink coffee and and have amazing discussions all the time. So yeah,
1: (laughs) would you say Dante sort of puts Greek Hades in limbo? Sort of, sort of. Yeah, Uh,
2: I mean, if you think of hell as being like Tartarus. Mm and Hades as the whole underworld or right. something, then yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's just a little more like the part of the underworld that isn't Tartarus, maybe. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Gotcha. I'm just trying to wrap my round my mind around the fact that Virgil is trying to find a place that isn't Hell for people he admires from the sort of Greco-Roman pre-Christian time. I yeah, think that's limbo.
2: That he can't bring himself to to imagine eternal punishment yeah. for people who for one thing and this is there's kind of a medieval tradition of people like aristotle and plato um and even virgil uh in some cases being representative of you know people who got as far toward the actual truth of christ as any human being can get mm-hmm. without the actual revelation mm-hmm. right. <laughs> of right. the christ event you right. Know? right um so, I mean, they they've gotten as far as anybody can go mm-hmm. under human steam. Sure. And so he doesn't want to stick them in heaven.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but he doesn't find them blameworthy either. So, they've 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 got this nice you know, sort of guest cabin sure. for heaven or something, <laughs> you know. Um and it's it's actually between hell and purgatory. Okay. Mhm.
0: And then the other thing I think that I remember you saying, and Mark's going to be looking at me cross eyed maybe perhaps, but um, I feel like you always make a point of saying to our largely Protestant students that <laughs> getting to purgatory is actually a good thing.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, because you can't flunk it. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the good thing about purgatory, and, and Dante's purgatory is a metaphor for an idea in mm-hmm. the medieval church. Um, and still in the Roman Catholic Church, and actually for a surprising number of Protestants, um, C.S. Lewis included, right. um, it's it's some kind of intermediate state between death and heaven, where some kind of process of purification or atonement or something like that mm-hmm. takes place in order to prepare one's soul for entry into heaven. Um, so. Uh, what it means to wind up in purgatory, right, is that you're going to heaven mm-hmm. for sure. You might spend a long time in purgatory working your way up the various terraces, um, but you're gonna get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the great fun moments, uh, in there are great fun moments kind of peppered all the way through where, um, Uh, the shades the various souls that are in purgatory when they realize that dante isn't a shade he's he's not a soul Mm -hmm. He's, he's he's a living guy and they're really really excited and they kind of mob him at one point because they want him to go tell their relatives that they're in purgatory because that's fantastic. Right. They're <laughs> excited.
0: They've made yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Would you yeah. please go tell my remaining family that I'm in purgatory and bound for paradise? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think, too, don't they often ask Virgil to let, let people know so that they can pray for them and kind of hasten their time in purgatory as well? Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. And that was part of the theology of, of purgatory, which is that the, the prayers mm-hmm. of the living can help um, speed your understanding, uh, uh, make it I don't, easier is not the right word. Um, the The prayers of others can help you come to understand each of the sins that you're learning about mm-hmm. sort of more quickly, more efficiently or something like that. And um, lessen the amount of time you have to spend there. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So now, Mark, do you have a, a favorite level of purgatory? That's a great question. Oh,
2: they're all so good. Um. I'll I'll mention two, um, only one of which has to do with what's in the actual level. Um, I I like the envious. um, Because the contrapasso for the envious, remember, is that they all have their eyes sewn shut with with metal, Mm -hmm. like wire. um, And they're having to kind of shuffle along the side of the mountain, and they have to get along by always being in contact with the person in front of mm-hmm. them. Um, and so, it, you know, it's, it's a neat way of thinking about the idea of envy as failing to realize that we are part of a mutually supporting network of mm-hmm. other human beings and we have to rely on each other and that envy is a way of, you know, trying to pull yourself away from that. So the way you purge yourself of the sin of envy is to be put in a situation where you must absolutely rely on mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. um, and eventually that sinks in and then you go up to the next one um, the other one is um the avaricious but only because at the end uh there's this really funny moment where they meet the Roman poet Statius. Oh yes. So it's Virgil and Dante mm-hmm. and they meet this Ro- this poet Statius who's just being released from the level of the avaricious. He's kind of figured that one out. He's moving on up. Um and <laughs> uh they talk to him a little bit and and Statius starts um Really fanboying out about Virgil and oh, yeah. talking about how Virgil was his inspiration to become a poet and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff He has absolutely no idea that Virgil is standing in front of him um, And Virgil even at one point gives Dante a little look <laughs> That's like don't don't spill it. Don't go mm-hmm. there um, and then uh, Finally, there's the realization and Statius falls down onto his knees Um and then Virgil says, "No, no, no! Don't do that. You're you're a shade, and so am I. We're just souls in purgatory now." Um, but it's this great, funny sort of fanboy moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have to ask the same question of Carrie. Do you have Do you have a favorite level on Purgatory? Ah, Purg- uh, you know,
1: I really, I. I like the structure of Purgatory. One, of, probably my favorite. That's such a level. philosopher I know, answer. I know. Wow. I am absolutely into the structure, but I, I would say that the top of Purgatory, so the level of lust. Um, I like the fact that Dante sees lust as as just you've got love, and that's really, really important, mm-hmm. but it's sort of misdirected and a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just need to work on sort of yeah. moderating that desire. And so I like that. And then I like that as soon as they leave that, Virgil gets Dante right up to the point of the pearly gates and has to has to turn around. Um, and I like this, again, because as a philosopher, the thing that I love probably most about the purgatory is it is sort of... Aquinas's virtue theory in story form, in sensual mm-hmm. story form. And so Aquinas is a firm believer in the idea that reason gets us almost all the way there, but revelation is what saves us. And so I love yeah. this d- depiction of that.
2: Well, and also very Thomistic in the Purgatorio in terms of how it. Deals with the idea of penance. Totally. Um, you know, that there's this sort of process of mm-hmm. education that you have to go through in order to just be ready to enter into paradise right. without being completely overwhelmed by
1: mm-hmm. it. Right, right. Um,
2: and so I, we read that passage in, in Thomas. Didn't mm-hmm. we? Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 And even the, the idea that virtues come through habit formation and purgatory right. is a process of habit formation if you didn't have enough time in life, which most of us don't.
2: Right.
0: I can own that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm. Very interesting. What's your favorite level of purgatory?
0: Well, I'm just going to be straightforward about this. The one I resonate most with because of my own problem with this, and I'm probably going to spending a lot of time in purgatory on this level, is um, the the level of sloth, Mm -hmm. where the folks are just running pell-mell the entire time. And I just think if that could just motivate me somehow to be a little bit less slothful in real life, um, that would be a great thing. But I do resonate with that level. And I I think it is interesting to think about reading this particular book with students during the Advent season Mm -hmm. too, which again, to tie back into Rushka's lecture about the medieval church, like the Advent season is actually a time of reflection Mm -hmm. and preparation. And so it makes sense that we're going to be thinking deeply about sin the cost of sin at a time when we're anticipating the Incarnation and the mystery of Jesus taking on a flesh yeah which
2: I love well and there's a reason they started at, at, at with the Inferno right which mm-hmm. is that it, you know Dante to get through his dark night um, you know has to fall mm-hmm. in a way first and go through the process of um being humbled and mm-hmm. learning about all the bad stuff and yeah. working his way up, um, and so it is that process mm-hmm. of literally from the bottom up mm-hmm. um, reflection on, um, you know, what Christian life is and means. Yeah,
0: and yeah, yeah. I think it ties nicely together. Um, what do you think is most challenging, most difficult for students who are Protestants reading the text? Hmm. And maybe nothing, I don't know well, I
2: mean the idea of purgatory is unfamiliar uh-huh. um and I'll talk about that a little bit uh-huh. more in the lecture. but if you you know we are highly churched and grew up Protestant, purgatory is kind of a scary sounding word. Uh-huh. It sounds like something for which there ought to be some sort of ointment. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know I've got a purgatory it's, it's <laughs> really crazy
1: um,
2: and uh and, and and the whole thing seems a little odd. That there would be this intermediate state, mm-hmm. um, but um, I'll, what, what I'll go over in the lecture is there is you know a scriptural basis for it, and also some uh, stuff in early Christian history that's mm-hmm. a basis for. It. So it's not you know uh, out, an outlandish mm-hmm. idea, and uh, uh, like I say, many many Protestants actually believe that there's something, right. and of course Dante knows that his representation of purgatory is. Symbolic and allegorical, and right. he 's not trying to assert that this is what the process actually looks like we don 't know um, but uh, it, it it gets a little more plausible, I think, mm-hmm. once you 've read the purgatory <laughs> sure.
1: mm-hmm. yeah, but I do think that that latter point it has been at least for me one of the most difficult things to get students to realize that this is, for him, this is an allegory. This is symbolic. Yeah. So he doesn't necessarily think that each of these levels is doing precisely this mm-hmm. in this way and that this is precisely mm-hmm. how it's structured. Um, they sort of get on board maybe with the purgatory mm-hmm. idea and then think, oh, and this is what it's like.
2: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people make that mm-hmm. mistake. You know, a lot of our, our common imagery of things like purgatory and hell um, it's amazing how much you hear people in Christian contexts talking about what hell is, for example, and most of the ideas and imagery are coming out of Dante and, and, and Milton, right. Paradise Lost, uh, with people not even realizing that they're talking more about Dante and Milton than they than are the about Bible. the Bible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how funny. Mm-hmm. I have a Dante-related question, okay. but if we were going to read, so if we didn't read Dante in Humanities, what would you suggest instead? You're the lit person, the medieval mm. lit person. Mm-hmm. What other books are there that teach us in interesting ways?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, too many. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, one thing I've always kind of wanted to try in Humanities are um, some of the Canterbury Tales.
0: Oh, yes. Um,
2: And this is where I put in my little plug. So if you want to read The Canterbury Tales, (laughs) you can take Chaucer from me in the spring. Um, And it's um, not quite as tight an allegory as uh, uh, Dante's poem is, um, but also deeply... Teaching and and deeply reflective and also deeply fun mm-hmm. uh, the way um, Dante's poem is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if we had to if we had to replace it with something,
1: probably yeah. a, a,
2: the general prologue in at least a few Canterbury Tales. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I like that idea. I do too. It's always interesting to hear what people would sub in if if they could, or just add in, not sub in yeah. if we had time.
2: Or maybe I don't know Marie de France's lays which are these great stories. She's French. Mm-hmm. About the same time as mm-hmm. um, Dante. Um, one of the few uh, medieval women we know were writing romances, oh. you know. Um, cool. And they're great. There's even a good werewolf story in there. So,
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> Biscolabre. Oh, my. How exciting. That is exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can
0: add that to our Christmas list. We'll there talk we about that later. <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Is it... Um, are we being uh, ironic and not reading the heaven part of the trilogy? I Hmm. mean, I don't know what we're saying to students by, you know, we're not reading hell. We're not reading heaven. Mm -hmm. We're just, we're just going to stay with purgatory. And that's the last thing they read um, this semester.
2: Um, You know, well, purgatory is probably the closest to how our lives feel Okay, (laughs) for one thing. Um, And honestly, um, the purgatorio is funnier okay
0: uh
2: not that there aren't humorous moments in 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 the paradiso um and actually the inferno is the really funny one i mean that Mm -hmm. the demons are hilarious um
1: (laughs) sounds like i need to read the inferno over the Um,
0: christmas break
2: so uh you know if if you're talking about just pure fun Mm -hmm. um Probably the Inferno is the most fun. Mm-hmm. Purgatorio is the second most, and and once you get up into Paradise, humor is a little harder. Sure. Um, except um, the way everybody kind of they're theirs, Dante all the time. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, well, he never quite gets it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I do think, mm-hmm. just sort of back to your initial point, mm-hmm. why Dante, it it the Purgatory especially is this sort of perfect ending to the semester where we've had Aristotle into this story version of Stoic virtue with Virgil, mm-hmm. and then Aquinas's Christian conception of virtue, and then Dante using Virgil and Aquinas' conception yeah. of virtue to tell this story. And, and
2: we could put Julian in there, too, mm-hmm. as someone who... Um, brings in the element of sensuality yep. mm-hmm. uh, and and your bodily senses mm-hmm. as something that can also be a springboard to thinking mm-hmm. about spiritual matters. Right? Yeah. Um. So there's 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 a little bit of that mystical bent in mm-hmm. in Dante as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, is it our time to ask Mark what he's got on his nightstand for fun? Sure. Fun uh, reading.
2: My nightstand for fun reading. Um. Oh. It's a. Uh, I'm trying to remember the author's name.
0: That's okay.
2: It's actually an old Star Trek novel.
0: Oh, of um, course
2: it is. And I'm trying to remember the guy name of the guy who wrote it, but he's one of the sort of most unsung great science fiction writers. Okay. Who uh, and that was one of the things he did was write some Star Trek stories way before there was a Abrams verse. Okay. Um, and uh, it's about, um. A Klingon, and he developed <laughs> Klingon culture before. Uh,
1: and it bef- we're both laughing a lot. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, okay. I gotta geek out about sci-fi yes. sometimes. You gotta. Um, but it, it, you know, he wrote it before any of the sequel series and things like that came out, and it's a very, very different vision, and I think better. Okay. Um, but uh, and it's kind of has a cult status as. You know, this genre thing, you know, it's a Star Trek novel. It seems really cheap, but Mm -hmm. it's actually a very interesting, standalone, very well done work by a a very um, fine writer of science fiction. So,
0: I'm just praying that Mark doesn't get me in the Secret Santa. I'm (laughs) I'm just putting that out there. Just putting it out there.
1: I think it would be interesting to have you and Marianne Larson talk about all of the sci fi stuff that you read. Yeah. That's lots true. of stuff about time travel, sci fi. Well, we've talked
0: about what was the book that we read about um, the space and the Jesuit missionaries? Yes, The Sparrow. The Sparrow. We're oh. going to
1: have a conversation at some point about, about that because the there are strong feelings in both directions. Yeah, have about you read the, it? The text, The Sparrow. No.
2: Um, it does remind me of one that I have read, though, called, um, what is it? Arthur something Miller. Uh, it's called a Canticle for Leibowitz. Do you know that. this? No. It's, it's a post-apocalyptic thing oh. where, um, you know, there's been a nuclear holocaust that's bombed us back into the Middle Ages and it's How about this group of monks that, you know, monasteries are carrying on learning again. and Interesting. Um,
0: uh-huh. uh,
2: and they're preserving what's left of 20th century technology. In a monastery, it's really fascinating.
0: Interesting, indeed. We'll add that to the list as well. What's on your nightstands, Carrie? Well, so still the
1: Winesburg, Ohio, okay. but I have based on the conversation. We, I mean, we've been spending so much time in humanities in the medieval period with the medieval
0: evening mm-hmm.
1: and Julian of Norwich.
0: And shout out to the Basilica folks who hosted yes. us. Yes, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. A very
1: successful evening. But students are always so caught off guard. Right at first, by the way that Julian of Norwich writes, mm-hmm. that I was sort of describing mysticism and the sort of mystical approach to God, and was reminded of this text that I read a long time ago. So it's not on my nightstand, but it is at my house now okay. at my kitchen table. Fair enough. Um, called "Knowing the Unknowable God." Mm-hmm. And it's by David Burrell, so it's it's a f- philosophical theological text, and it's on um, Avicenna, Maimonides, and Aquinas. Mm-hmm. And on elements even of scholasticism, where they thought God can't be known in this propositional way, and so sort of encouraging, are encouraging us to think more
0: mystically about this. So, this is why I like to co-host with Carrie because wow, (laughs) that's not in my house right now. (laughs) Um, I am reading the third book now in the trilogy by Pat Barker, on about World War One and the men who fought that from the British side and so on and so forth but I also it will be um, fresh from audiobooks about the murder on the Orient Express Agatha Christie nice. Mm. I've also got the Hobbit on audiobook because you know we have this Thanksgiving break that uh, will have been in the rearview mirror by the time this uh, episode drops and then I've got some Sherlock Holmes so you that know it sounds delightful. Yes yeah, yeah. so I've got some fun audiobooks that I will be sharing with my sweet little daughter and all the rest. So That should be fun. Well, you've done it again. You've spent another several minutes listening to Bookish at Bethel.